Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 75, A Turkey Hunter with a Hiking Problem with Brandon Jacob. And I am your host and a guy who's really ready for turkey season to just get crunk. The turkeys are gobbling sporadically. It is not wide open yet, but it is turkey season, so I cannot complain about it. And it will happen soon enough. There's still plenty of time in the season. Speaking of that, we are 30 days, 23 hours, 31 minutes, and 27 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. Yep, we are 15 days into the season in Alabama, and I started the season off pretty hot, and I've hit a little bit of a dry spell. Now, Saturday at noon, I should have killed a bird actually called two in and there's some thick stuff between me and them just couldn't see them they moved off in the distance i couldn't call them back at five o'clock in the afternoon i move into a little bit different area still very close to where i called those two birds in the first time and i called those same two birds in again and they just came in so quickly that i had to find a spot to set up and i wasn't happy with the spot that i set up in but I couldn't see very well where I was. The birds came in gobbling and strutting and drumming, and I just could not seal the deal. The good news is, they're probably still there waiting on me, and I will visit them again real soon. This is spring break week in my part of the world, and this week I took two young hunters out into the woods with me. One of those was my eight-year-old nephew, and unfortunately, the day we went turkey hunting, we did not even hear a turkey gobble. But I believe I have now found my permanent turkey hunting partner, because he did tell me once when we stopped to make some calls that he smelled where a turkey went by, so he knows that there's turkeys in the area. I really got to get him in the woods more often because with his sense of smell and his young years, I really feel like he'll be a tremendous help to me the final month of the season. And I'm pretty sure this dry spell will be ending very soon with him on my team. He said he could smell where a turkey walked across the road. (laughs) That still tears me up. Okay. I'm getting close to ironing out all of the details on my new podcast, Spurred, 
which we'll be debuting soon. I hope to be able to provide you guys with all of the info you need to start downloading and listening to Spurred in next week's episode. And I'm really excited about it, and I hope that you guys will want to ride along with me during each of my hunts during this turkey season. And to get more information on Spurred, when it's going to be released, and how you can get it, then all you have to do is text the word SPURRED to the number 44222. That's S-P-U-R-R-E-D to 44222. As soon as I have more info on the show, I'll get those details out to you guys and let you know what we can do to get you on it and let you know what we can do to get it in your hands. Okay, so this week I have an interesting interview for you guys. I stumbled across an article online about a man on a mission to improve the turkey population in East Texas. And despite the past restocking efforts by the Texas Parks and Wildlife Division and the National Wild Turkey Federation, turkey populations in East Texas have dwindled, and only about 28 of the 50 counties that are in East Texas actually have wild turkeys in them. And its prime turkey habitat is very similar habitat to what's east of the Mississippi River. Now, the man's name that I've got on the show today is Brandon Jacob, and he's doing something to try to change things in East Texas in a very interesting manner. Now, the restocking efforts in East Texas now consist of doing what's called superstocking, where the biologists and the volunteers with the NWTF will actually overstock wild turkeys when they do a stocking, because they know that a percentage of those turkeys that they put into an area through a stocking are going to survive anyway. So they'll actually put a greater number of turkeys in that area than they would in an area that they know the turkeys are going to thrive in. So this is an ongoing project in the state of Texas, and Brandon is doing his part to help out. And I'm going to let Brandon tell the story about his fundraising efforts. So we're going to jump right into this interview, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am Excited to let you know that I have on the line with me tonight, Brandon Jacob from Texas. And Brandon is, well, he's an interesting fellow. Let me tell you about Brandon. I stumbled across a story on the National Wild Turkey Federation website about a man who is going on a hiking trip to raise money for the NWTF, but more specifically to raise money for restocking eastern wild turkeys in eastern Texas. And the story was very interesting. And once I read it, I said, I have got to get this guy on the show to share a little bit about, well, first of all, why, and secondly, what, and then when, and then more of the why, and then at some point during the interview, I'm sure I'm going to get to the, are you sure, (laughs) have you lost your mind at some point? But listen, it's for a great cause. It's something he's taking on that there are a lot of things that people do in this country to support a cause that I look at and I say he or she is a much better person than I am because I couldn't do it. So, Brandon, I want to welcome you on the show. Thank you for your time this evening. How are you today and where are you? Andy, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I am 
in Houston, and it's a, a rainy Houston today. And, yeah. and I'm uh, doing good. I'm excited to be on the show. Man, I'm glad to have you. I think we're scheduled to get that rain here over the next couple of two or three days. Hopefully it's about to move out for you guys. So you, you guys haven't had so much that y'all have had any issues with flooding this go-around, have you? No, it's, uh, I, I think they predicted that it was going to come in a all-at-once kind of thing, but it's been somewhat sporadic throughout the last couple of days. So we've been lucky enough not to break out the boats or anything like that. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Well, I'm 49 years old, and I've lived here in Texas for 30 years now. I am originally from the state of New Jersey, and that's where, believe it or not, I experienced turkey hunting for the first time. An interesting story, and it kind of ties into the Appalachian Trail a little bit as well, in that when we were kids, my brother and I, we spent a lot of time fishing, hunting, trapping. Now, typically, in a story like this, you know, how you get to hunting, it's a lot of times, gee, my dad was a hunter, he took us hunting. And in the case of our family, that hunting gene kind of skipped a generation. My dad wasn't a hunter. However, lucky enough, he was a dad that said, oh, that's cool, I'll support you and I'll help you get the guns and get hunter education and supported us, right? So it was a pretty good deal. And growing up in that central New Jersey at the time, there was a lot of woods of hunting. And, you know, in the mid-70s, though, the eastern wild turkey was a thing that they had down in Alabama and Mississippi. It was somewhat of a mythological creature that once roamed the woods of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York, but no longer existed. But, you know, along came the state of New Jersey, and I, and I guess the end of UTF was part of it at that time. And we introduced the birds in the late 70s, and, you know, lo and behold, here's a 14-year-old kid who put in for an application to hunt turkeys in New Jersey. It was going to be the first season in 85 years that the state was going to hold. Wow. And, and yours truly, I put in an application and I was one of the 900 hunters who, who got drawn. Wow, how about that? Yeah, 14-year-old, 14, I think I was 14, 13, young. So somehow or another, and, I, and honestly, I can't remember, I got a hold of a lynch box call and a Penswood diaphragm call. Mm-hmm. And found some access where turkeys were. It was up in Sussex County, in a town named Stillwater which the Appalachian Trail, as I've been doing some research, I can run very close to this area. So there's a tie into this, kind of neat. Yeah. And my dad took me up there and kind of let me go into the woods. And I'll be darned if I didn't call a turkey and a gobbler. And, you know, the funny thing is I had never seen a turkey before. Right? And yeah. here, here I am hunting one. And Andy started making these noises that I had no idea what noise it is, not the gobble, obviously, no doubt, but it was spitting and drumming. And I was like, well, what is this thing doing? And introduction to turkey hunting 101, a minute before I was going to shoot that gobbler, a tree that had been standing in those woods for 100 years fell over and scared those turkeys away. Oh, man. So I was introduced to turkey hunting. That is a turkey hunter being born, right? I mean, you know, that's welcome to a, a bad break. But I was hooked. I was hooked. Yeah. And 
you know, not long after that, my family moved to Texas. And when you move like that, it takes a while to kind of get into the gist of things, if you will. So I really didn't turkey hunting again until I got involved with the Houston chapter of the uh, National Wild Turkey Federation. And it didn't really start again until I was graduated from New College. So in a long way, that's how I got my start in New Jersey. And then the next thing we know, we're uh, chasing turkeys in, in Texas. And that's a crazy story of your first turkey hunt. I mean, just from start to finish, you got in there, didn't know what you were doing, called this turkey in, and then to have the hunt ruined the way you did, or I can't really say ruined because the hunt was made when the turkey showed up and you got to hear the spitting and drumming. I know any time I get to hear that, man, it doesn't just make my hunt. It makes my day and a lot of times will make my week. I absolutely love that sound. It is just so fascinating and intriguing to me. It is an amazing sound, isn't it? It really it is. is. It is. And so, but to have that hunt end the way that it did is crazy. I've never, fortunately, never had anything happen to me like that in the woods to where, you know, something as random as a tree falling spooks the bird off. I've had my share of coyotes come in and things like that but man that's that's something else yes i can definitely see how you got hooked on that hunt oh yeah absolutely absolutely that's that's a cool story speaking of cool stories though you're about to embark on another one yes sir and like i mentioned in the introduction you know i saw the article come through on the nwtf website Started checking that out, and there was a link to your website. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on that link, got to reading a little bit more about your story, and I said, man, I have got to get Brandon on the phone. So I reached out to Brandon via his blog, left him a comment, and asked him to contact me. And lo and behold, about an hour, two hours later, I got a phone call from him, and he and I chatted for probably, I don't know, 30 minutes on the phone yesterday and Mm -hmm. just learned a little bit more about his story, and I just knew I had to share it with you guys. So, Brandon, tell us what you're about to embark on. I'm about to start on April 5th of this year a northbound hike of the Appalachian Trail, a through hike of the Appalachian Trail, a through hike is defined by hiking the entire trail, which starts in Springer Mountain in Georgia and ends in Baxter State Park in Maine. 2,185 miles. A through hike is anybody who does that within a season. And the season is defined by basically a year. Okay. And now, there are people who do it in sections, meaning they might hike every year a couple hundred miles and and take 10 years some people take to do it my attempt is going to be to do it all in 2016. Well what are you anticipating as far as timeline you're starting? Uh, My goal goal is five and a half months if I start April 5th the tentative time is September 15th And, and there is a timeline going north where you have to finish. I don't know the exact date in which Baxter State Park closes. I think it's October 15th, but 
this Texan is not going to be in Maine camping out after October 1. Okay. <laughs> so as you can imagine, it's A, it's cold, and B, it's bow season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something to consider, isn't it? It, it is. Well, and it also is you have to put a top on. You can't say, hey, man, I got until October 15th and, and dressed for you know, an extra month. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself. I'm not retired. I'm taking a five-month hiatus. I will need to be getting back to my regularly scheduled life at some point in time. So I figured September 15th is a good target. Yeah. Well, tell me how you came about wanting to raise money for the NWTF as part of this hike. I'll be glad to share that with you. I planned on doing this hike in 2016 for about two years. And early last year, when I was really starting to think about it, I thought, wow, this, if I pull this off, this is something big in life. Something that I've yeah. done that, you know, you're a through hiker in the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. I said, how can I make it maybe a little bit bigger than just me? And I believe in the end of WTF. I believe in what they've done. I believe in the, the reestablishment of um, Eastern wild turkeys throughout the United States. Because let's face it, when I was a kid, as I said earlier, I mean, it was, it was, an, it was a bird that was mythological. You know, they were gone. Right. Yeah. And then I got thinking, I'm going to start in Georgia. I'm going to go to North Carolina. I'm going to go to Tennessee, Virginia. West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, I am going through, with the exception of maybe Mississippi and Alabama, at least the core of eastern wild turkey habitat. Mm -hmm. So doesn't it make sense to kind of do something to celebrate, if you will, the efforts of the National Wild Turkey Federation and the states that have reestablished these birds? It was a natural fit. Yeah, yeah. So... You, how did the fundraising part come into play, though? So you wanted to do something for the wild turkey, but at what point did you go, okay, I'm going to set a goal to raise some money for the NWTF, and I would like to have that money kind of earmarked for restoration of the wild turkey in eastern Texas? Okay. The people who... Maybe throughout the rest of the United States, they, they hear about turkey hunting and they hear about Texas. They, the images of turkeys everywhere probably pops in the mind. And, in, and out west, that's the case. Rio Grande turkeys, we have a lot of them. Yeah. Our eastern turkeys, on the other hand, specifically in the in the lower part of East Texas, well, they have not done well. I mean, it is absolutely native range. Some of that habitat is not what it was 100 years ago. A lot of it isn't that habitat, meaning it's still woods, but it's not the right woods. Hmm. And the efforts have not been wildly successful. And they're currently trying super stockings, where instead of releasing 5, 10, 15 birds here and there, they're attempting to do big blocks, 80 birds in one spot. Wow. And I went to my regional director with the NWTF, Mike Schaus, and I shared with him my idea. And he liked it. And he 
subject to NWTF Nashville, and they liked it too, but they said he should try to get a grassroots ground swell in Texas first. And I took my idea to the to Dick McCarver, the president at the time of the, the state, Texas State, and went up there this June and shared with them my idea. And it kind of switched at that point before I went to the meeting. Instead of just a raise money for NWTF kind of thing, let's earmark it for the Eastern Turkeys and keep the hike a celebration of the restoration efforts that's happened thus far, put the money to where the turkeys could certainly be uh, benefited. And then, with the help of Justin Harden, who is Texas Parks and Wildlife project leader with the turkeys, and Gene Miller, who is part of the National Wild Turkey Federation, they collaborated, and that's when the Texas Parks and Wildlife put together the match. And the match really kind of brought this thing, the power of this thing, to the forefront, whereas Texas Parks and Wildlife has agreed to donate or allocate to the reestablishment of the turkeys, eastern turkeys, $4 for every $1 that I raise. Wow. Yeah, that's where it gets crazy. It gets powerful. Yeah. That's putting your money where your mouth is right there on the behalf of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Bureau or whatever they're they're called. The great thing about that is there may be somebody who you know, listening to this or somebody who says, you know, it, the money stays with Texas, but this guy's really trying to do something pretty neat. And, you know, I'm good for a few bucks. Good for a few bucks is multiplied by five, right? I mean, that's, that's right. like, for every one dollar, it winds up being five dollars. Yeah. And, you know, it goes without saying, those birds that are ultimately going to be stocked in East Texas, they have to come from somewhere. And those dollars, those dollars, you know, that I raise are eventually going to go to paying those states to give up some of their birds. That's right. Or a lot of times states will work out a swap. You know, you Alabama traps and ships 100 turkeys, and in exchange, Texas traps and ships 5,000 quail or, you know, something along those lines, just as I, a... I think early on, they, they shipped a, Texas shipped a lot of river otters. I think this was a while okay. ago, but they used to share, they used to trade a lot of otters for turkeys. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. All right, well, the pigs and the coyotes, you guys can keep. Yeah, I was going to say, anybody, <laughs> any state that doesn't donate to my program, I'm going to carry a backpack full of wild hogs. In uh, <laughs> oh, man, you, you may not make it out of Texas. <laughs> no, no. And ironically enough, that's part of the problem. They are absolutely part of the problem because yeah. I just ran across a group of a founder of wild hogs on my, my place the other day, and, and literally the woods look like a rotor tiller. It absolutely looks like a rotor tiller when through the woods. And you have to believe that there's a hen turkey sitting on a nest anywhere near those. It's not going to – the eggs are gone. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Whether they eat it or not, I'm sure they do because they eat anything. Yeah, they're – for all practical purposes, they're a predator because 
there's nothing that preys on them. So I think the only thing that would like prey on them would be a bear. Yeah, and and we're, we're a little short of those as well in East Texas right now. Yeah. Well, why the Appalachian Trail and why do it now? Okay. You know, there's a mystique. I'm sure some, all of your listeners who live in those 14 states that it runs through maybe, maybe have a, a good understanding of the mystique, but there is a special mystique about the Appalachian Trail to me. I don't know if it's getting back to the East Coast, right? I was 16 when I found my way to Texas, and, you know, much of my experiences, and, and they're very good experiences, have been west of the Mississippi. I've seen beautiful, mm. you know, on vacations and things like that, and, you know, Utah, California, Yellowstone, Yosemite, and, you know, beautiful yeah. places. But I've spent so little time exploring that East Coast. And 25 years ago, right after I graduated from college, I, I shared a, a mountain bike ride along the CNO, which is a canal that runs from Cumberland, Maryland to Washington, D.C. And you bike ride along the old tow path that they used to tow the boats along the canal. It's about 250 mile bike ride. And it crossed the Appalachian Trail in Harper's Ferry. Harper's Area, West Virginia, which still happens to be where the, the Appalachian Trail Committee headquarters is located. Okay. And that is about, at the time of my adult life, that's about when I discovered this thing called the Appalachian Trail. So probably 25 years old, and it, it hit that bottom of the bucket list, right, way down there. You know, and over the years, you read a book, you hear something about it, and it's slowly starts to percolate up, right? And that's that's how good things happen on the bucket list. They kind of migrate up. And I always had it Andy pegged for that thing to do when you retire, you know, 63, 64, 65. Right. The reality is I'll probably never retire. What I do for a living, I could do for, for a long time. And I stepped back recently and I asked myself, at 62, at 63, will I be, would I be physically able to do this? And the answer was, I don't know. Now, I figured at 49, I have a, a much better chance physically than 62. Mm-hmm. Then I looked at it from, a, from this perspective. It, it's a social trail. You're not going out there for five months alone. There are many people doing it, and you may meet friends and meet people. And I figured if I do it now, I have a story to tell for the next 20-something years, and I might have a few friends for the next 20-something years as well. Very true. So the time that I decided time was, I put it off till later. Yeah. Well, and I think your strategy is good. No one's guaranteed tomorrow, and even if we are fortunate enough to see tomorrow, we're not guaranteed that we're going to see it in the type of health that we want to see it in. That's right, right. It's it's not so gloomy that I, I looked at it like I might not be alive. It was more of a, you know, can I do it? Because here here's a little interesting statistic that I'll share is that one in four people who try it are successful. I mean, it's yeah. a low success rate. Yeah. And I have to imagine if you broke down 
you know, who's more successful, which age group, it's probably younger, right? Yeah, you would think so. I don't. I honestly don't know that. I, I'm just guessing. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Maybe yeah. maybe the mental maybe the mental piece of it, maybe a little bit older is a little more relevant, right? Because it's a big. It's it's, it's not just physical. It's mental as well. Yeah. How many, on average, how many miles per day do you think you'll be able to hike? It breaks down to, to do it in that time frame that, that I shared with you, the five and a half months. It's about a 15 to 16 miles a day. However, that's not a consistent 15 to 16 miles a day. At the start of it, there's the one piece of advice that I've received from probably 30 different people. You start very slow. Take eight miles, nine miles, ten miles, first two, even three weeks. Slow, slow, slow. Hmm. And what happens is you build trail legs, and it's amazing when you start hearing about the kind of miles people cover when they start getting some good legs under underneath them. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, twenty-five mile days. So your average, your average, your slow day. Your eight mile, your nine mile day. After a while, it's going to come in right about fifteen to sixteen miles, which is no, so short undertaking. No, that's a lot of walking. I know I walked Saturday scouting for turkeys. I walked about seven miles, and that was Saturday morning. And you know, it was not like I was just completely beat, but yet I wasn't hiking in the mountains first mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. and Secondly, I got into a comfortable truck, drove home, spent the night in my bed, and you know was able to rest and relax and recover. You're not going to have that luxury. But you know, you know, and I thought about that. No, I won't. But remember, the only thing I have to do the next day is get up and walk again. Right? I mean, there's no. Yeah. There's no real, you know, gee, I got to, you know, I walked seven miles scouting in the turkey woods today, and tomorrow I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be tired, right? I mean, it's, the, the job is to walk the next day. Is that a is that a risk? Is that a fear of mine, you know, not getting proper sleep? Absolutely. You know, because I think if you skimp too much, and I, I'm sure you're going to ask me about the weight I'm carrying, but, you know, if you skimp too much on certain items, I think it could really hamper your success rate in terms of a good night's sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Speaking of carrying the right items, what are you doing for food and water and shelter while you're on the trail? For food, typically you resupply every four to five days. So this is not a light out on Springer Mountain and then you come out of the woods in Maine and you've been living on berries and squirrels for five months, it it crosses through towns of varying size. And, you know, there may be resupply at at a a Walmart. There may be a resupply at a general store, right? I mean, it it, it varies. So there is resupply along the way. So think of it almost as a four- or five-day hike, resupply, another four- or five-day hike, resupply kind of progress. Traditionally, people would sometimes send mail drops and pick them up in, in different post offices. You don't have to do that anymore. Everything I've, everything I've researched and everything I've been told 
is that it's actually easier to, you might have to wind up hitchhiking for two miles to get to a, a general store once you got off the trail, but that's actually easier than, than trying to get to the post office, and now it's Sunday afternoon and you have to wait a day until the post office opens. Not, uh, yeah. not, not to mention, I don't know if you've checked postal rates lately, but my God. <laughs> <laughs> Water filter. I'm going to carry a, a, a what's called a Slayer Mini Squeeze, and you just filter your water the whole way through. A gallon of water weighs eight, and let's all round it up, eight and a half pounds. And yeah. the game here is not to carry a lot of water; is to carry the filter and carry your bottles to, to, to gather it and gather it as you go along. So I, I certainly do not plan to carry eight and a half pounds of, of water. Sleep. There's 250, I think there is, shelters along the Appalachian Trail. Here's the problem. Once upon a time, a through hiker could rely on those shelters, right? You wouldn't even have to carry a tent. You would sleep in a shelter. Each day, you would move to the next shelter. The trail has become uh, very popular in the last five to ten years, and those shelters are commonly still specifically when I'm going to be starting. I mean, there's a bubble when people start. It start starting, you know, today, now, and all the way up to mid-April, there's a lot of people. When I say a lot, it may be 10 to 30 people a day starting. And these shelters fill up, but so I'll be relying on a, a tent, an area light tent, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that for okay. a minute. Okay. How much weight are you carrying in your pack? Well, this is one that's going to really blow people away. You know, here again, I, I, when we talked before we jumped into this about, you know, when we go turkey hunting, you know, no one ever takes their vest and hook it to the deer snail and, oh, my God, I think it shock people how much weight we carry when we go hunting, right? We just yeah. we don't really, you know, hey, I love this sleep call, but it's four ounces heavier than the other one. We don't think like that as hunters. Right. As hikers, as a long-distance hiker, this is all these people think about, and ounces count. And my goal was to start with a base weight. A base weight is everything but food and water. So backpack, tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, spare clothes, everything. My goal was 20 pounds. And I'm not going to make that. I'm going to actually be starting with 22 pounds. It just got to a point where I was... I would have had a cut, and going back to sleeping, you know, I could have carried a, a smaller sleeping pad, a couple other things, but just two extra pounds, I think I'd have a little more comfort, but my base weight's going to be 22 pounds. I will probably carry between four and a half to five and a half pounds of food, say when I'm leaving a resupply, and then throw in some water, say three pounds of water maybe, two and a half pounds of water. So that's going to yeah. put me right at about 30 pounds. Wow. 30 pounds doesn't sound like a lot. 30 pounds carrying over 8 to 10 miles a day, it's a lot. Oh, I challenge anybody to strap on a 30-pound weight belt or weight vest underneath their clothes and wear it for a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just in your normal activities of going to work and coming home and you're up and down out of your chair at your office or whatever type of job it is that you have, that's a lot of weight. But the good news is the backpack that I'll be using, I mean, they're, 
they're about as comfortable as you could get, right? I mean, they're not, they're designed for this, and they're designed for 30 pounds, and, and hopefully that's going to help. I, I, you know, there will be aches and pains, I can assure you. Oh, yeah. There's going to be no doubt. So how are you preparing physically for this trip? And then I'll get into the mental part as well because I don't um, wouldn't even know where to begin to prepare mentally. But how are you preparing physically for it? I started training pretty heavily last summer. You know, I'm an active guy, but boy, I'll tell you, getting me into a gym is, is an active god. It's just not something I enjoy doing. And I did do that. And got a little distracted when deer season came around, and <laughs> and I've been walking and walking with a backpack, and actually walking with a little more than 30, 30 pounds. But here's the problem: I live in Houston, and it's flat. Yeah, and and you know you could walk and walk and walk with a, a thirty-three pound backpack and feel good about yourself, but the reality is you're just not going to be physically prepared for this, and. Somebody might be listening right now and say, oh, my God, this guy's not physically ready. Well, the reality is, again, you know, I'm seeking advice from people who have gone before me, and they say, start slow. Start at eight miles. It's basically training, physically training the first couple weeks. These guys who come from Houston, Texas, or wherever, right, Alabama or whatever, and, you know, put in a 16-mile day the first day, that's a recipe for disaster. No matter how how much training, and, and don't get me wrong, Andy, I've been I have been training and I am physically prepared, but I don't think I am nowhere as near in the physical shape that I will be come uh, you know a month on the trail. Yeah, yeah. I think most important this winter, I did have a preliminary fear of, of cold weather. You know, again, living in Houston, we just we didn't have a winter. I mean, we literally did not have a winter here except for January. We had a little week, and I got out and I, I hiked and camped out, and I think it got as low as 28 degrees when I was able to test my sleeping bag in my tent and make sure that I wasn't going, you know, because, you know, we don't, well, we know as turkey hunters, April could be cold. And when we get into right. the mountains of, you know, I'm going to be going through the Smoky Mountains, in late April, and from all accounts, I may see snow, and snow equals two cold temperatures. And so I was more worried about sending my gear out, right? And I think I'm very ready on that aspect. I mean, I've second-guessed and used it, worn it, looked at it, you know, a hundred different times. So there's a physical element, and then there's a gear element, and then there's the mental element, which I think you were going to ask me about. Yeah, get into that a little bit. How do you prepare mentally for something like that? I, can, can I throw a plug in? I got to throw a plug in. Of course you can. You, you buy uh, Zach Davis's book called Appalachian Trials, which is a book about mentally preparing yourself for the Appalachian Trail, and you read it twice, and then you talk to people who have done it before, and you talk to people who have done it and have failed, and you listen to what they say and, and some of the things I took away from not only this book, but also talking to people who have failed before was just highs and lows. There's going to be yeah. absolute crummiest days in your life, no doubt, but it could change in in an hour, right? I mean, right. the morning you could be absolutely cold and getting rained on at eight in the morning and by one o'clock, 
you know, beautiful, beautiful afternoon of hiking. There's also crazy things. There's a, there's a concept called the Virginia Blues, and that has to do with the fact that the state of Virginia contains 550 of the 2,185 miles of the entire trail. Oh, wow. And they say hikers, they start in Georgia, and I think it's 70-something 70, 70 miles in Georgia. North Carolina and Tennessee are fairly short as well. And you're hiking along, and you're, you're feeling like you're kind of kicking the trail's ass, if you will. Right? Uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and then you get to Virginia. <laughs> and a month later, you're still in Virginia, right? Right, yeah. And they say that although Virginia is a beautiful state, it doesn't change. There's, there, it, it's, it's fairly consistent through the entire hike through Virginia. So as part of this book, they say you have to be mentally prepared for that. Yeah, and and one of the things that that I'm gonna that I that I held on to was, you know, when you hit that low, you have to say, why am I doing this, right? Why am I doing this? And you know, I I'm continually working on that. Why am I doing this? I'm fascinated with the fact that you could take 30 pounds and and for five and a half months, you know, walk through 14 states. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you, you know I'm gonna start. April 5th, before the leaves are on the trees, and when I, I'm going to get outside, get the experience from spring to summer to early fall. I mean, how exciting! I mean, that's so exciting to me. Yeah. And, may, and maybe the whole NWTF fundraiser thing to get back to that. Maybe that was a little bit of a, a self-serving thing, is because I can't let any of these people down either, right? That's pretty neat because I can imagine. And just like you said, you're not out there alone, but I can imagine there are going to be days when you are going to pass people going the other direction. You'll get a hello, how are you in, and that might be your only interaction. And you know, you're going to have those days where you're doubting what in the world you're doing. But Actually, you that's, got, a, that's a great point because what I've been told is going starting alone is it's very common to get to know people you're going to start pacing with people, right? Mm -hmm. But you might not walk with them. So everything I've been told is during the day, I may be hiking alone, but then you catch up with people at night. Right. So they all camp, you know, even though maybe that shelter's filled, they, people still camp around the shelters. And yeah. you get to know the same people. But again, yeah, there will be those days where you look around and say, why am I here? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, why is what'll be keeping you going? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. NWTF, and you're obviously an adventurer and an explorer, or otherwise you would not have even had the desire to do something like this. You know, that's a good so, point, and I think I think most people who who hunt, you know, who get outside, are there's such a fine line between hunters and hikers, right? I mean, it's just yeah, we like to get outside. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, going back to the pack, how do you decide what goes into the pack and what stays home? Because that's got to be pretty tough. You've got to be looking at some things going, ah, you know, it's just another six ounces. I really need to add X. You know, you it's easier than you really think because basically you say, I'm not bringing anything else than <laughs> what I absolutely need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because 
we were talking about, you know, making, you know, several trips to REI. And, and let me first say this is, and I shared this with you earlier, is having hunted and fished and trapped my entire life, you know, I'm, I have a mountain of camouflage clothes and boots and hats and gloves and, you know, everything we use to go hunting and not one piece of that equipment is going to make this trip. It's just not the caliber of stuff that you're going to use to hike. So now you find yourself at REI and they have this, this giant building full of camping stuff and then you go, well, that's great. I, I'm not going to carry any of this. None of that neat stuff translates into this kind of hiking. The neat yeah. thing to wash your dishes and it comes down to what do I absolutely have to have and what can I live without and still be comfortable? I put together on Excel a spreadsheet and I would weigh everything and buy ounces and it would convert to pounds. And I was able to kind of the whole summer as I was, <laughs> I'll say this kind of tongue in cheek as I was buying things and returning it because I, I second guessed myself the entire summer. But some of that's important too, right? You buy a piece of equipment and you try it, you weigh it, and then you get online, you read that this piece of equipment does the same thing, but it's three and a half ounces lighter. Well, naturally, you want that lighter item. And mm-hmm. the whole time, I'm keeping the tally on the spreadsheet. So it's pretty, you put in your backpack, you put in your sleeping bag, you put in your sleeping bag, and you put in your tent. And there's not a whole lot left to, to keep that at 22 pounds. Oh, yeah. You're gonna have, you have to have some clothes to change into. You're starting in April. You're going to have to have a rain jacket. You have to have a jacket that's fairly warm enough to wear, and that itself weighs several ounces. Let's put it this way. There's, there's no room for the cast iron skillet. <laughs> that doesn't make the trip. Yeah. Cast iron skillet stays home along with the eight-and-a-half-pound tub of Crisco oil to season it with. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and it's funny, like, you know, as, as, here again, as hunters, we, we wouldn't dare go into the woods without our buck one can or a big Swiss Army knife with every gadget in the world or, or two knives, right? I mean, you know, we all, and, and at the end of the day, it, it's just carrying a tiny little buck knife. I mean, it's like minuscule. It's, it's just not really, you know, I'm going to sit in a deer, right? <laughs> Yeah. You're not going to be carving up a steak. It, I mean, it's everything in reduced size. In fact, everything in reduced size, right down to you buy a two-ounce bottle of that soap that's uh, very concentrated to wash your pot and your hands. Because you do want to kill. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody talks about how, how a you know, thru-hiker, oh, you're going to stink, you're going to... You're going to be filthy, but wait a minute. You, you can't forget hygiene because you're going to get sick, and then you're, you're off the trail. So, you know, you're going to carry some soap, but that two-ounce bottle is about one and a half ounces more than what you need to carry at any one time. So then you, you take it and you break it down to a smaller bottle, which, you know, you, you buy these little tiny bottles in REI, and, again, you're just maximizing your weight by cutting as much as possible. Yeah. Still on the subject of preparing, okay. how do you prepare work and home to be away and off the grid for such a long period of time? Because when you and I were talking yesterday, you brought up something I didn't think about, and that is, hey, I've got to file my federal income tax before I leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, if I were in your shoes and I was going to be gone, I, I would have thought about that. But just in casual conversation, I was like, wow, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things like that that you don't really think about. It's hard to do something like this for five and a half months, and you're, you're going to tackle this thing. So what are you doing to prepare for that? Well, I mean, first of all, before I jump into the, the taking care of life's affairs, let me first say that I'm lucky enough. You know, I can make a joke about it. I've been married 25 years, so my wife's glad I'm married on for five and a half months. But the reality is I have a supported <laughs> – you know, my wife is always supported. Everything that I want to try, right, you know, it's – Go hunting, go fishing. You know, it's 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 what you enjoy doing. Very supportive, and again, crucial mentally. Mentally, if you have a spouse at home that's sending you texts saying, "Well, I really wish you didn't have this desire to hike," how would that go? Not well, right? Right. So I, um, you know, I gotta thank you, Kelly, for that for that being supportive. Also lucky enough that she's going to hold down the floor making money because I'm not going to make money for five. I'm not retired. I have a consulting business. I do uh, business valuations for plumbing and air conditioning contractors, and I buy and sell plumbing and air conditioning contractors. And that enables me to kind of just push things back for five months. But it's a sacrifice, a huge sacrifice. But that's what life's about. I could not do it if I didn't, again, have the support and also have somebody who was, you know, the bills don't stop coming just because you hit the Appalachian Trail. True, indeed. In terms of, like, doing your taxes and things like that, I, I, again, I've been preparing for this for, for over a year. And, and this time last year, I started building a list. What am I going to be needing to do in February and March to make sure that when I step out in April, I'm not being irresponsible? And that list, I mean, I have a long list, and I started hitting it in January, you know, and, and it includes everything. But just as soon as I say that, five and a half months sounds like forever, but it's really not. Right? I mean, it's, it's not five years, five and a half months. And True. so the, the list is, it was long, but at the same token, it was, it was you got to do your taxes anyways. <laughs> you know? That's true. It's, you want to do your taxes before turkey season anyway, because who wants to deal with that turkey season? Some things, we have some land, and making sure that doesn't disappear in, in five and a half months is, is somewhere relevant, you know, cutting the grass around that and things like that. But you know, that's support of friends and family as well. So Yeah. So I guess the million-dollar question for me is you're leaving – the first week of April. Yes. How can you even stomach the thought of being in the heart of eastern wild turkey habitat during turkey season, hiking this trail without your vest on your back and a gun in your hand? Well, I don't. I don't know if I could do it, Brandon. You're a much better man than I am. Well, first of all, let me, let me be very clear on something. I'm leaving. On March 31st, I'm heading out west and going to hunt with my nephew for a couple days for Rio's. So I am going to slip in. I will probably want to hunt in three days, and that's going to be my real grand hunt for the year. So I am going to get that. And, and in fact, I might have started a little bit earlier on this hike if it wasn't for that. But my God, I'm going to hunt. I'm going to hunt turkeys. Uh, number two, I am. Hunting. <laughs> 
this is why I had to this is why I had to throw out the invite. I am carrying a Woodhaven diaphragm call with me, so I'll be available if anybody wants to invite me <laughs> <laughs> to take a break from the truck. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm going to sacrifice turkey season, but it's, this is a once in a lifetime. I mean, spring or yeah. fall, walking in the woods and what I'm going to experience. Yeah, it's a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that I that I'm prepared to make, and I'm going to. Just get my turkey hunt in before I go. Well, there you go. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I'm in sure... fact, I was in fact I was on a call with someone in North Carolina today, asking about a certain right right before the Smoky Mountains, and asking about where I could resupply. And and they said, you know, that time of year is a lot of turkey hunters out here, and we have a lot of turkey hunters. So I'm sure I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna be exposed to that. And in fact, at the end of ETF, I've already made some contacts with some people that I'm going to meet along the way. So, you know, the whole way, yeah. it's not going to be like um, in, in a different world. But anyway, enough on that. We'll, we'll, definitely, we'll definitely make it through. Yeah. And if somebody does want to reach out to you and invite you for a turkey hunt in Georgia or Tennessee or North Carolina, because you probably would hit those three states during turkey season, then uh, I'm sure – they could hit you up, and you probably would take them up on that. Well, you know, they, they, you, every once in a while, you got to take a zero day, and I absolutely would. I certainly would. I mean, there's a, there are that is a actual concept. Is they, they call it either a zero day where you don't hike at all, or a zero day where you maybe hike four or five miles. And yeah, absolutely, I'll call for you know, call for hire. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Nothing just, wrong with don't, that. just don't ask me to carry a slate call two thousand miles. It's it's it'll be a diaphragm. <laughs> yeah, you're not adding a whole lot of weight there, are you? No, not 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 much at all. Yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of turkeys, okay, tell us the story of your most recent turkey hunt and one or two of the things that helped to make that hunt a success okay I, i'll go back to uh, last season and i was lucky enough to hunt out out west for rios on uh on a uh, actually my, my brother's mother-in-law's little ranch and it's, he has about 120 acres so it's in that part of the world 120 acres is not a, you have to understand the terrain when you get into that small acres there's a lot of turkeys out there uh, and a lot of deer and here's the problem. We all want to cut and run, and, and that, that that's exciting, right? You know, you call yeah. for 10 minutes and then and walk and call, and, and you're hoping to catch a bird. But what I learned the first day was, as crazy as it sounds, I was bumping so many deer that, that mm. they, in turn, were bumping the turkeys. Yeah. I mean, it's that, I mean, there's that many deer in this part of Texas. And so, so that night I said, you know, as much as I hate to do this, it's, you asked about strategy and what I did. The next day I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to hunker down in one spot. It's not as sexy as cutting and running. We're going to, we're going to hunker down in one spot and we're going to call. And what these reals, how I learned is that you really don't want to call too little because they're going to move through. And if you wait 10 minutes to, to do a series of calls, you might miss. He might already pass through end up or whatever. So I was calling, sorry, you know, and that's the nice thing about when you just hunger now, you can 
You get on the slate, you get on a box, you get on a diaphragm, and you can really kind of work different ranges. And uh, lo and behold, I mean, that's what it took to be successful. I struck one from far away, and it was it was a 20-minute, you know, you know how those ribs are. They yeah. they respond. They're not like Easterns. They absolutely, they love the gobble. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's you know kind of a successful turkey turkey hunt story. And, and, and believe me, if you ask anybody here in Houston, Houston chapter NWTF, I, I definitely know how to screw up a good turkey hunt. <laughs> I think we all do. On the lighter side of that, yeah, I was successful the second day, but the first day I called in a um, a, a giant gobbler. And, and I, you know, have you ever had one where they just are there before you know they're there, and next thing you know, it's like seven feet away. <laughs> you know, you you've got the you got that super tight choke on your shotgun, and you and you realize that if, if you were shot at you know ten feet, your your shot pattern is you know, the size of what, a silver dollar maybe? And and you just, you know, you, you wait a second and you move that barrel for an inch and a half and you know the game's over. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, I guess that's the the, the, the uh, success and the failure story. Oh, yeah. And it's good to be beat every once in a while by a turkey, isn't it? It is. It is. We don't want to get beat all the time, and that's one of the reasons why, I decided to do this show was to help those people from, or help some people from getting beat all the time. But yeah, it's good to be put in our place by a bird that has a brain the size of a almond. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So that, well, that and so so that's it to make anybody, anybody, any listeners who are planning on coming out to Texas or I guess Oklahoma or wherever else is Rio's. You know, that's just something to keep in mind is if you're in a spot where there's a lot of deer, you could, you could really, you don't realize it, you're just bumping a lot. And even though you, you could be slipping through the woods, I mean, as, you know, as quiet as possible, you're bumping, bumping all kinds of things ahead of you. You have to be very careful. And then that country is a little more open, right? It's not that, it's not yeah. the wooded lot of, of Alabama or, or or, you know, Virginia or anything. I mean, it, it, it could be fairly open. You will get busted. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, like here in Alabama, where it's, where it's real wooded, mm-hmm. that deer's bedded down and is going to let you walk right on past it. Mm-hmm. You'll never even bother to get up and, and run. But there, where it is so open, that's their main line of defense. That is absolutely they're keeping their eyeballs open and their nose up in the air, and they're going to get the heck out of Dodge because they know if they can see you, they know you can see them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's good info to pass along there. Well, if someone listening to the show wants to help you raise some money for restoration of the eastern wild turkey in eastern Texas, how can they go about doing that? It's actually very easy. We set up a website through the fundraising site GoFundMe, which is GoFundMe, and the direct link is GoFundMe.com slash turkeyhike. And if they went to that site, they could easily pledge however amount of money they wanted to pledge. We have some chapters here in Texas who put $250, $250, and we have some individuals who are going to put $10, keeping in mind that every dollar that's pledged 
somebody who says, you know what, here's ten dollars. That's going to translate to fifty after Texas Parks and Wildlife makes the match. Yeah. So what I tell everybody is, no donation is too small. I mean, it's 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 there's no better way to multiply our money for conservation than this uh, this effort. But GoFundMe.com, and I'm also going to be if the power of the GoFundMe deal is somebody could go in and donate $10 to the cause or donate 10000 if they felt generous. And then they could share that by a click of a button with their friends on Facebook. And yeah. and that's the exciting thing about this, why we set it up to this GoFundMe deal is because it could really get viral, right? We, we don't know who might say, wow, this is really a great deal. And, 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 and here comes, here comes more money for the effort. Right. So that's GoFundMe.com slash turkey hike yeah and i think it's very admirable what you're doing and even as a guy who hunts most of the season in his home state of alabama Mm -hmm. i absolutely don't mind donating to the cause to help out hunters in eastern texas because i want them to be able to experience what i experience here at home chasing turkeys and not only that, but I do hunt other states. And what's to say that in five years or ten years after the Easterns have been restored to eastern Texas and there's good huntable populations there, what's to say that I don't go there to shoot a turkey? Sure. So, you know, I definitely don't mind giving to that, and I plan on doing that. And I encourage any of the listeners to Go to Brandon's GoFundMe page and donate a little something as well. Thank you. Even I appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, even if it's, like you said, just 5 or $10, you know, you're going to go to Starbucks and blow 7 or 8 bucks on a cup of coffee tomorrow morning anyway for the most part. So that's not doing anything but going to help a bunch of anti-hunters in Seattle, Washington, and anti-gunners. So instead of buying that... Starbucks coffee, why don't you do something good and help to promote our sport that we love so much and, and help others enjoy that. And if you're giving money for something like this, there is a really good chance somewhere down the line, the dollars that you spend, that you donate for Brandon's cause here, that those dollars are going to put a turkey in the woods for a kid to hunt his first turkey mm-hmm. and kill his first turkey. And you never know what that leads to. That may keep that kid in the woods instead of on the street doing something he shouldn't be doing or she shouldn't be doing. So you never know what those dollars will end up helping to do. But by putting more wildlife in the woods, I can promise you it's not going to be doing harm. And, and we so, and we need more kiddos out there chasing things other than their Bingo. Who I dare say there's deer, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, we love deer hunting, but at the end of the day, it's 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 one more thing that kids could do in April. The weather's nice, right? They get to go all out and, and walk, and it's just uh, it's a good deal. Yeah, and part of the magic for me in spring turkey hunting is just seeing the world come back to life after a long winter's nap. Mm-hmm. You know, get to see all the trees bloom and the flowers budding out and the plants 
grading back up and the deer having something to eat other than dirt and pine trees. So, you know, that's part of it. And I think kids can get a lot of benefit out of being in the woods in the springtime. So, Brandon, if we want to keep up with you while you're on your hike, okay, is there a way we can do that as well? Absolutely. In addition to putting updates on the GoFundMe, I'm also going to be blogging. And I've already, my God, I've been blogging my preparation, wow, for, for over over a year on a site called Trail Journals. And Trail Journals is a site where people who, who hike can go in and set up a blog account. And my direct link to that blog is trailjournals.com slash Jake the Fake, all one word. So someone could go in there, type in trailjournals.com slash Jake the Fake, and jump in and follow me. I, I don't know, you know, will it be a daily update? It depends on, and it's one thing we didn't talk about, battery life and things like that and reception, but it will be a constant throughout the entire hike. I'll be updating hopefully every day. Right now I'm not updating every day because as we're, as we're getting closer to the start, I, I, I've done the preparation stuff now ready to really start the blogging on the journey. I'll probably throw in on the uh, the blog how well my uh, Rio hunt goes. So I'm, I'm going to have to say something about that. So anybody who wanted to follow me, they can certainly jump on that site. Well, you know, that's all of the questions that I had for you this evening. And I want to encourage everyone to go out and, and pledge a little something for Brandon. And what he's doing, I think, is is a very noble cause and and wanting to have some turkeys restocked in eastern Texas. And, you know, if it does get one more person out there hunting or one more kid out there hunting, it's a benefit for all of us, even though we may never go to east Texas to hunt turkeys. But but they're more than welcome to come to east Texas and hunt a hog. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and you could do that tomorrow. You, you could do it 24 hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I appreciate it. And 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 yeah, and thank you if anybody's listening. I appreciate any no no pledges too small. And um, we're excited here. And uh, and I, I thank Andy and I thank everybody who's listening to this. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to help out in any way that I can. Don't ever hesitate to give me a call. And anything that I can do to help you, I'm, like I said, happy to do it. And just so we know, your goal is to raise how many dollars for the NWTF, and how close are you at this point in time? I pegged the the pledge goal at $50,000, and that's very lofty. However, we're sitting at – what happened is if someone goes into the GoFundMe account today – they're going to see a smaller amount of money because before we went to the GoFundMe account, we raised money, a lot of it within the Houston chapter of the NWTF and the generous members. We were right about at $11,000 before we set up the GoFundMe account. Why we're doing, why we're doing this talk today, we're at about $1,000 on GoFundMe. So I'm at $13,000 right now. So we're, we're still far away from 50, but this thing's a five-month, 
fundraiser. Right. And, you know, again, every dollar counts. And here's where the victory is. If it's 50000 it's really 250000 Hey, Exactly. If we fall short and, and raise something less than fifty, it's still a lot of money. If I raise, if I didn't raise another penny, twelve thousand dollars, that, that's what sixty thousand dollars for the turkeys. Right. So, fifty thousand is is the uh, is the pledge goal. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I think you brought up a, a good point earlier, and that is that anyone who's listening who's involved in their local chapter. If you want to get your local chapter to donate 50 bucks, you know, once your annual banquet is over and they're through with their fundraising efforts for the year, 50 bucks is not going to set most local NWTF chapters back, but that's a $250 donation when all the dust settles. That is absolutely so correct. It's not going to set your chapter back a lot of money, but it's going to help out the cause a great deal. So. And, you know, and, and, and hopefully as, as this goes on and my blog goes on, it, it's also going to raise not just with the NWTF people that they meet along the way and, and build that, uh, you know, a spree de corps, if you will, but I am going to be hiking amongst a bunch of people that not all of them are granola tree huggers. A lot of right. <laughs> I've already spoken to a lot of people, believe it or not, who are hunters who are hiking as well. But there is that element of people that I'm going to be hiking with that they do not necessarily understand the correlation between our love for getting out in the woods and hunting and our love for conservation. And that's part of the, the awareness, the, the, the NWTF and, and hunters support conservation. And let's face it, if it wasn't for turkey hunters, the birds wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be there today. That's a fact, right? There's no, there's no doubt about it. And so that's part of it as well. I mean, am I going to be carrying this giant flag down the trail that says, you know, hunters for conservation? No, but there will be, there will be a, hey, this is my fundraiser, and yes, I do hunt, and yes, I am proud that I'm a hunter, and yes, I do support conservation. And there you are. Your actions are speaking louder than your words. Mm-hmm. You're on the trail. So well, I, I think most most people who hunt do that, right? Yeah. I, 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 but but again, not everybody is going to be interfacing with a another group of people that not all of them uh, necessarily understand the uh, the harvest piece of our love for the outdoors. Yeah, you're right. And many of them may never, but that's all right. It's not for everyone. It doesn't need to be for everyone. We don't need everyone to be a hunter. No, thankfully it's not. Thankfully it's not. Yeah, yeah. but I'm thankful that I am one. Well, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Hey, Brandon, man, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show and share your story with us. And like I said earlier, if I can do anything else to help you, please don't hesitate to let me know. And I wish you a lot of luck. And I want to see pictures of your Rio if you're successful on your hunt. So email those to me, and I'll post them on the Facebook page. All righty. I will absolutely do that. So we'll, uh, now now the pressure's really on. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> you can do it. I have confidence in you. 
I uh, be on the lookout for some uh, some turkey pictures. I can't wait. Good deal. And thank you again. And you and I will speak again sometime soon before you go out on the on the trail. Thank you, Andy. We'll talk to you in a bit. All right. Have a great night. Goodbye. You know, I'm always impressed and intrigued by those people who do something that I am or would be unwilling or unable to do. This is certainly one of those instances, and that is why I wanted to have Brandon on the show. I just felt like this story needed to be shared, and I was intrigued by it as well. I encourage each of you guys to go to Brandon's website, make a donation, even if it's just five bucks. Because that five bucks is going to be 20 bucks by the time it's over. So it'll really help out turkey hunters in East Texas. But it's not just an East Texas thing. You know, there are a lot of people like me who look for other states to hunt in. And use that as a way to extend their season. And extend their opportunity to harvest more turkeys and hunt more. So you're not just helping people in Texas, you're helping people in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, and really anywhere else in the country that want to go and have an opportunity to harvest an eastern wild turkey in East Texas. Now, remember on Brandon's website, you can also keep up with his progress, which will be fun to watch. Brandon begins his hike in just a few days. And I know I'll be donating and following his progress on the hike as well. Okay, so today I'd like to thank Sean Gorsuch for leaving a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. And Sean says, Turkey Hunter Podcast, five stars. Love this podcast. I listen every week and every day. Due to just finding this podcast last month, I'm trying to get caught up on every episode, and I'm almost there. Love the serious safety topics, the tips, and the funny stories. Look forward to many more. Sean, thank you very much for taking the time to leave the review and the rating on iTunes. It really helps other people decide if they want to listen to the show. So I'm grateful for that. And if you guys would like to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or both, then please feel free to do that. All right, that's all I have for you guys today. But you know the drill by now. I have four things that I need your help with before I turn you loose for the week. Number one, please like, forward, and share this episode on social media. The show posts on Facebook and Twitter, and it's very easy to find it on there. Just search for I Am Turkey Hunting or the Turkey Hunter Podcast, and you should see this episode pop up. And just click forward or share and send it on. That is much appreciated. Also, please tell just one person about this show. It'll really make my day. That'll be awesome. Number three, please subscribe to the show. It is free, and you'll be sure to be notified as soon as a new show is posted. Number four, be sure to tune in next week for another great episode as I chat with Wayne Fears about choke tubes and shotgun loads. Really, really cool stuff, and I think you guys will enjoy that a lot. Thanks so much for listening this week. I know that you guys have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com 
to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.